This morning we are going to be looking at the faithfulness of our Lord. We're only looking at three verses as Paul wraps up his letter, his last epistle that we have to his young son in the faith, Timothy. And what has been oh so challenging for me as I've dug into these verses this last week and just thoughtfully, prayerfully meditated on where Paul goes is at times, honestly, my lack of faith, my wonderings, my musings as to, God, are you really here? Are you really at work? I remember so vividly in, in Papua New Guinea when we were serving that there was a major catastrophe across the, the grass airstrip from our house and, and a man was, was chopped up by another man with a, a machete and everybody started screaming so I went over there and, and, and let's just say it, it was just blood everywhere. He was still bleeding. He, a couple arteries had, had been cut so it was lots of blood and, and when I first looked at him I wanted to run. Then I wanted to, to blame the Lord because my coworker Tom Brendel that served with us for so many years had had left, and he's the one that liked to play with all of the stitching and, and all of that, not so much me. And as I looked at this young man, I, I thought, man, we only have so much time before he's going to pass away. He's, he's going to just bleed out. And I thought, what are we going to do in order to stop this bleeding? And told some guys to cut some big jungle vines, but that wasn't working. So I just made my way across the airstrip to our house. And as I was making my way, I'll be completely honest, it was a little bit of an argument with God. Not so much, oh, I'm so thankful to be here serving you. What, what is going on? I, I didn't sign up for this. What am I to do? And then he reminded me of two things. One, an airplane was coming. You don't know how significant that is because an airplane wouldn't come in but every, once every six weeks. And an airplane was going to be in shortly. Number two, he reminded me that the last time an airplane came, it had come with a little 10-gallon bucket, actually sent from Shannon, my wife's family, her, her mom and dad, and like a little medical supply bucket. And in that little medical supply bucket, there were 10 to 12 ace bandages. And so from the time that I took off running from... From this house across the airstrip to our house, I knew exactly where I was going. I knew exactly what I was going to get. And I knew exactly what I was going to do to Konasi when I got back. You know why? Because God was with me. Because God was there. Turn with me to Psalm. Let's start with Psalm 23 this morning because this has been such an encouragement for me this week. I just keep coming back to it. In fact, some commentators, they actually believe that, that where Paul goes and the way that he pens everything in, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, verses 16 to 18, is for the most part glimmerings and little tidbits from Psalm 22 and 23. That, that perhaps actually the Apostle Paul had, had these psalms memorized. 
And so there's a little mirroring going on from the Apostle Paul and the life of Christ. Why? Because like Christ, the Apostle Paul, we're going to find is abandoned. And at times, I'll I'll be honest, I've felt abandoned in, in New Guinea. Maybe you felt like that during COVID. Maybe you still feel like that at times. And, and, and today, what, this is just the beginning of what we're going to dig into. This is so rich and so deep. When we were in New Guinea, I, I, I was involved, as well as you've, I've already told you, in some sort of medical side of things. There was no other doctor to minister to our people. So it was one way that we shared the gospel with them, through caring for them. Through helping their kids when they would come in seizures at 2 o'clock in the morning and give them a shot of quinine. Because they had cerebral malaria and they'd be dead in three hours if we didn't. I gave more shots than I'd want to give. One of the hardest shots to give was this weird penicillin that we gave that looked like syrup. And it, and it was given for this thing that they had called yaws, which was, well, it was kind of like a form of leprosy. And it was so thick that sometimes it, it would stop as you were pushing on the syringe. You'd have to pull it out clean it, and then reinsert that needle that was a huge harpoon-sized needle because that's how, had, how big it had to be to let all that syrup go through. And at times, I wouldn't be able to find the hole that I just had made in this little kid or whoever, and then the kid would start screaming. And so are you, are you figuring out it wasn't fun? Well, to me, that, that's, this, this has just been this dose that the Lord keeps giving me more and more of his goodness in these verses. Starting in Psalm 23. Look at what the Lord has for us through David and the relationship that David had with God. That he wasn't a distant God. No, he was an intimate, up-close, personal God. And that God is our God. His God is your God, my God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because he gives me everything that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. In the solitude of my relationship with him, I drink deeply. He restores my soul. What's well, understood that at times your soul needs some re- restoring, that you're taxed, that, that you need some restoration. You need some deep breaths, and the Lord gives it to us because he is our good, good shepherd. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. For what reason? For his name's sake. It's all about him. And then look at this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I believe that's where Paul was. We know that's where he was. But yet, even though he's this close to dying, he's not depressed. He's not disturbed. He's not downcast. And even when he mentions all these people that have abandoned him, he's not, he's not discouraged. You know why? Because he clearly is focused upon Christ, his prize. And he recognizes that he's closer now than he's ever been to meeting his shepherd in person. Never, ever to be removed, taken away from him again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David was there. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice it's the presence of the Lord that allows him not to fear evil, not to become downcast in the shadow of death, 
His death looms overhead. It's the same with the Apostle Paul. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul's perspective. Paul looks at death and he's good with it. Why? Because he knows who's going to lead him home, who's going to bring him home. And as we're going to see, it's even more than that, who's going to save him home. And so there is so much encouragement for us in these verses. Look at what Paul says, 2 Timothy chapter 4, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul can't help but to go into a doxology of praise and thanksgiving after recounting the fact that the Lord is going to bring him home. And that should cause us to rejoice as we consider what we're about to dig into. So let me pray that I would be pulled aside and that the Lord would be our teacher, the Holy Spirit would be our guide. Let's pray for the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for... These wonderful letters, these epistles from the Apostle Paul to young Timothy, Lord, your word given to us in in your special revelation that we are so, so thankful to hold, to have in our own language. So speak to us now through your word. Write your word upon our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would renew our minds that you would give us the mind of Christ, that we would look at things the way that Christ, that you desire for us to look at them, that you would ignite our hearts to serve you faithfully as Paul served you faithfully, and that we would see your goodness in every circumstance, in every situation that we find ourselves in just as Paul saw that. You are such a faithful God. May you receive the glory and the honor this morning and set me aside and allow your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Thank you for giving him to us as our helper. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. By way of further developing this idea that our God is a God who stands close by us. Turn with me to Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. And what I want to reveal to us this morning is that what the Apostle Paul experienced at the end of his life is not new. That the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Son of God is in the business of showing up in our times of need. I'm just not certain that we always get it. I'm certain that the Harrises could tell us and give us recounted story after recounted story of how the Lord showed up and did amazing things in Japan. 
No doubt maybe in the last couple of weeks the Lord has done some really neat things to show through His grace just how loving and kind He is. But here we, we're going to look at not Daniel, but Daniel's three friends. And we have to understand what has been happening in order for us to fully grasp the significance of, of this whole situation. King Nebuchadnezzar has built a monument, an idol, a great big statue of himself. And now he's requiring everyone, all the nations that, that, they, that he's ruling over as well as his own, to pay homage to him, to worship him, to serve him. And that's what we see in starting in verse 15. This is what Nebuchadnezzar says. Now if you're ready at the moment, you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, and the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. But they do anyways. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And this infuriates Nebuchadnezzar. And we see in 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. And his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He's not even thinking out of his, in, in a right mind. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. And then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire for this reason because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot. The flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire still tied up. And then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and he stood up in haste and he said to his high officials, was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. No, Nebuchadnezzar, it's not like a son of the gods. It's not like anything of your gods. This is the real, true, one and only God. This is the son of God who in the Old Testament, before it was time for his incarnation where he took on flesh and bone, he appeared in what is called a theophany. This is the Lord Jesus Christ coming to his people in their time of need. This is very much what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. And what we see in 
2 Timothy chapter 4, is, this is what the Lord Jesus does at the end of his life. That he comes and he stands next to Paul. But do you know what? This shouldn't have been a surprise for Paul. Turn with me to Acts 23. Because we see in Acts 23, you might have forgotten that the Lord Jesus Christ already has done this. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Paul in numerous ways. We know on the road to Damascus, he, he appeared as like a blinding light in all of his glory, so much so that Paul became blind. We know that other times he appeared to him in a dream or in a vision. And other times we don't see any terminology, any words, any phrases that would lead us to believe that Paul was asleep, that he was dreaming, that, that this was some sort of vision. No, what it looks like and what it appears, no, what is happening is that Jesus literally shows up. Look at 23, chapter 23, verse 11. Let me give just a little bit of backdrop. This is following the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey. Remember, he had gone around and he had taken all these love offerings at various churches and now combined them all together, grabbed some buddies, and they all came back to Jerusalem, and then he gave that love offering to the church in Jerusalem. And as he did that, the elders in that church, no doubt James and others, they said, hey, you know what? The Jews here... You kind of have a poor testimony because they say that you are not following the law at all anymore and that you've abandoned the law and that you don't go into the temple. Well, we know that you do. So would you do this? Would you go into the temple so they can all see you and, and, and see that you still abide by some of the temple laws? And would you go ahead and do this rite of purification? And he says, sure, and he even pays for other guys to get it done too as they go with him. And he makes it all the way to the last day. And when he gets to the last day, some Jews from Asia show up and they come into the temple and they turn everything upside down. And they say, oh, this man, the Apostle Paul, he's been just creating havoc everywhere. And he's all about the Gentiles, the Gentiles, the Gentiles. You know what? He's even brought Gentiles into the temple against our law. Let's kill him. And everybody says, well, yeah, of course. And everybody in the temple, it turns into an uproar. And they literally grab Paul. They pull him out of the temple. They are pulling him out in order to kill him, to stone him. He's done. And what does the Lord do? The Lord allows the, the Roman commander to hear all the uprisings. So he comes to the aid of the apostle Paul. But even as these guys are ready to kill him and they're pulling Paul up, taking him to the barracks, he's like, wait, wait, commander, can I, can I talk to them? And so then what does he do? He gives the gospel. And as he's giving the gospel, he's recounting how the Lord Jesus met him and everything else. And everything goes fine. Everybody's listening to him there until he gets to the last thing that he says. And then he told me to go to the Gentiles. Because the way is open for everyone. And that God is willing that none should perish. It's not just about us Jews anymore. In fact, it was never just about us Jews. We were supposed to be the door for others to come to saving knowledge of Yahweh. That was always his intention. Well, when he says that, they again want to kill him. So the commander pulls him in, takes him to the barracks. And now it's that night. And he's in Jerusalem not knowing what's going to happen. And look at who shows up. 
But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side. It doesn't say that he was dreaming. It doesn't say that it was a vision. It says, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. You've been faithful here, Paul. You've been proclaiming me everywhere. You've been proclaiming me here in Jerusalem. Now I'm going to send you to Rome. Oh, yeah, and it's not take courage. It's just, in the Greek, it's just courage, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And so now, fast forward. The Lord Jesus Christ stands with him here. Why? To encourage him, to remind him, hey, the only way you can have courage is if I'm with you. And do you know what, Paul? I am with you. Whether I'm with you physically or not, I am with you. And that is what we're going to see this morning. As he encourages Paul here, take courage. What we are going to see is that Paul, by God's grace and by the strength flowing in him through the Lord Jesus Christ, he is able to have courage. And most likely the most insane time that you would need courage. Nero is a a psychopath, and and he's been killing, murdering Christians for many, many years and doing insanely terrible things to them in the way that he's murdering them. He's not just shooting them in the head. He is doing crazy, terrible things that would scare us all to death. And if there's any time that you would think that, that Paul would waver, it would be here, but we don't see any wavering. In fact, what we see is the opposite. We see this courage and boldness that comes from the Lord. As we see in these verses, four ways the Lord reveals his faithfulness to us, as recounted in Paul. I want us to focus on the Lord, not on Paul, because that's what's going on here. This is the Lord working in and through Paul. And then as a result, Paul is faithful, the same way in our lives. So four ways the Lord reveals his faithfulness. And the first one is oh so sweet. And it's oh so easy for us to maybe lay this one aside. Go, well, yeah, I know. The Holy Spirit indwells me. That's really what you mean. No. Look at what it says. Verses 16. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me. It's the contrast. It's them and then him. Them, him. Them all and only this one here, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as Paul arrives in Rome, he is called upon, he's brought to, and no doubt this would have meant that they would have cleaned him up, they would have made him presentable. Because he could have been being presented to Nero himself. In this, what would have been his first defense, which is the the way that we kind of do things in in, in America too with an initial arraignment. where, Where you hear what the charges are that are brought against you. And then you have the opportunity to say, well, whether you're innocent or whether you're guilty. Well, they also had the opportunity to, to have witnesses who would stand up and support you. That's the meaning behind all of this when Paul says, no one supported me. There's movement in this word supported. 
It's not just the idea that they were there to speak. It's the idea that they came close to him and supported him and helped him. Or that they didn't do that is what he means. He's not talking about Luke. Luke isn't there yet. He's not talking about Onesiphorus, who we saw in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He's not there yet. He's not talking about Tychicus, who we saw last week, who he sends off. He's not there yet. Who's he speaking of? He's speaking of the believers in Rome. That these ones that, that no doubt he knew of, that had already received the news that Paul had come into town, perhaps even to the point to where he had seen some of them. And initially they had come to him. We don't know. All we know is that in his greatest time of need, where he needed to be supported, that no one showed up. And yet, look at his gracious response. Is this the way that you would have responded? Is this the way that I would have responded? All deserted me, and then he says this, and this is couched in the Greek as as a prayer. He's speaking to the Lord. And what does he say? Because Timothy doesn't have any power over whether or not this is going to be held against them. So he's, he's praying on, on behalf of all of those who have abandoned him, who didn't come and support him in his greatest time of need, much as Jesus Christ did. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's exactly what Paul does. He takes his example from the Lord Jesus Christ, and he mirrors it here for us, giving us this great picture of grace, grace upon grace, extended to those who possibly didn't deserve it. What's also contained in the Greek is that they had the opportunity to come, but they didn't. They had no excuse. They should have been there, but they weren't. Again, before we're real quick to throw all of these guys under the bus and point fingers at them with our judgmental fingers, right, and our attitudes because we're so good at it, instead of doing that, recognize Could it be that Paul understood that the reason why he says, but don't hold this against them, Lord, why? Because I get it. I'm scared to death of Nero too. I had friends that were sewn with with the animal skins and torn apart by wild dogs. I had good friends that were human torches. This has been a difficult time. And so can you extend grace? Can you extend grace to them? Please, don't don't hold this over their heads. And in that, we, we see Paul, I believe, his shepherd's heart. He was concerned for the church in Rome. He was concerned for the believers in Rome. He wanted them to grow in godliness. He didn't want them to just be laid upon over and over and over and over again and beat down. And on top of all of that, I believe that as Paul is thinking about all of this, he's really looking right past all of them. He's not majoring on that. That, That's a little minor thought, and he's just using that as a backdrop to make Jesus Christ that much more glorious. He's saying, you know what? Don't, Don't even think about those guys, Timothy. In fact, leave that in the Lord's hands. He will handle it. What you need to do is you need to understand who is with me It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Do you remember him saying that? 
We've heard it, Timothy. We've heard it recounted to us over and over and over again by the apostles. The Lord Jesus Christ is with us. Remember that. He will stay close beside us. That's what's understood in this word. It's, it's not just that they didn't support him. It's the idea that Jesus Christ came close. That the Lord stood with me. How good is our God that in our time of need, he is there for us to come to the aid of, to help to stand by someone in their greatest time of need. Where are you at today? Perhaps this is the encouragement that you need, that the Lord Jesus Christ is there standing beside you. Psalm 46.1 says it like this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble think with me for a moment can you escape the presence of God listen even as an unbeliever you can't escape the presence of God he's omnipresent but as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ being grafted in Christ the Holy Spirit indwells you Jesus Christ is with you it is Jesus Christ, as, as Paul talks about in Galatians, that lives through us, that the Christian life is not us living it, it's Jesus Christ living that life through us. Turn, turn with me to Psalm 139. By way of reminder of how big our God is, and, and at times what we do is we just shrink him down, as I did that day on the airstrip, after seeing all the blood and thinking of all the ways that this was going to go south. And again, focusing on myself. I'm not able to do this. I'm not able to do that. And God's like, no, I got this. Just relax. One step in front of the next. Be faithful. Be faithful. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of, part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. There's nowhere that we can go where God won't be there with us. You are never alone. I am never alone. Jesus is with us. Today, tomorrow, the next day, the day after that, throughout all of eternity. Because remember, Jesus is eternal. He has no time reference like, like you and I do. He has no beginning. He has no end. That's why he says in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, he couches this, he, he establishes this after letting them know, hey, I have work for you. And this, this work is that you would go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. I want you to go everywhere, starting here in Jerusalem, but this is just your launch pad. And I want you to make disciples of all the nations. 
I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and, and give them the word. Teaching them all that I have what? Taught you, that you have observed from me. All that I have commanded you. And then he says this. Why? Because this is what we need to understand. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Have you forgotten that? With all that has been going on, perhaps in in, in the craziness of life, maybe you forgot that. Rejoice in God's goodness that he is with you. But then he takes it a step further. Go back to 2 Timothy. Because there is something that he can now do that he is with us. And he reminds us of that next. As okay, yes, first we see that the Lord is with us and he stays close beside us. But when Jesus is close by, he strengthens us to do his will. That's where Paul goes next. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me for a purpose. Not just so that Paul would would feel some consolation and maybe some peace. Not just so that the the aching in his heart would would be a little bit less from all those that abandoned him. No doubt that's part of why the Lord showed up. But it goes beyond Paul because that's all focused on Paul. It goes beyond you and me. The, The Lord's focus is always outward to others. To do what? To proclaim the gospel. So that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. So we see that it is the Lord Jesus Christ that enables, that strengthens the Apostle Paul. That means to enable someone to do something that they would not be able to do in their own power and their own strength. I love the way that Robertson translates this. A.T. Robertson, when, when he talks about that the Lord strengthened me, he says what, what he means is the Lord poured power, his power into me. That, that's the picture, that it's the Lord's strength in Paul that is allowing him to stand up in this first defense. And instead of squandering the opportunity and making it all about him, he stands up and he talks about Christ. And instead he proclaims the gospel. And he wants to do the Lord's will, which is to be the apostle to the Gentiles that God had marked him to be. And in this we know that the apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's implied? Without Christ strengthening you, you cannot do anything. And yet what what we do so often is is we run ahead of the Lord. And we try doing all these things in our own strength. And then what happens? They fall apart. And then we come back and then we humble ourselves. And then the Lord's like, okay, now I'm ready to use you. Deuteronomy chapter 31 We're all familiar with this verse. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. 
what is oh so startling is, is when that verse is, comes into play, what the context is. This is Moses handing everything over to Joshua and letting the entire nation of Israel know, hey, I'm not taking you guys into the promised land. I, I'm, I'm done here. But listen, you guys need to get this because you haven't gotten this up to this point. You think everything is about your strength. You think everything is about your courage. It's not about either. It's about his courage and his strength in and through you. And so when you go and you are now going into the promised land, you will be able to conquer all of those nations. And you will be able to claim that land because God said he's going to give it to you, but recognize it is not by your own strength. It is by the strength of the Lord. It is his strength. He will be the one that conquers them, not you. This was the lesson that Paul understood. This is the lesson that we all need to understand. That in and of ourselves, in our own strength, we can't do anything. But with Christ living in us, then we can do things that go beyond what we think would be humanly possible, such as stand before Nero. And possibly that, that is who Paul was standing before. And instead of catering giving the proclamation of the gospel to him. And what does he mean by proclaiming the gospel to all the Gentiles? Does that mean everybody that was a Gentile at that time heard the gospel through the Apostle Paul? No, he's only in Rome. He didn't make his, his way to Papua New Guinea where we ministered. So what does he mean? He means he's speaking in generalities. Why? Because Rome was the heart of everything. And he knew that by coming to Rome and, and sharing the gospel with Nero and everyone else that he would have had as his audience that in a sense that he is reaching the known world right there and then because from that point the gospel could go forth from Rome. But why is it that the Lord does this? That the Lord comes and stands near to the Apostle Paul and strengthens him. I believe it's, again, because of who he was going to be standing in front of. It's, that's the reason why Paul was, be able to, was able to make it from Jerusalem all the way to Rome and not die in the process and then not be, even be killed in Jerusalem or killed right away in Rome or stand in front of Nero and have Nero go on some sort of fit and kill him. Because the Lord had purposed all of this so that the Apostle Paul could give the gospel to all those that were there that day. And recognize that as much as we have like, you know, very famous people on trial these days and, and everybody watches it on television, that this, this would have been similar for the Apostle Paul. The, the Apostle Paul was like a, a, I don't know, a missionary rock star in, in this time frame. Everybody would have known about the Apostle Paul. Everyone would have wanted to come and hear him and see what he would say. The socially elite, the, the highest government officials, the, the richest people, but I'll bet it extends further than that. They probably had mass crowds outside. And all of that was an opportunity for the glorious gospel to go forward. And so that's what Paul commits himself to. 
because he recognizes that the Lord is strengthening him for a purpose. And that is that he might proclaim Christ everywhere that he goes. But then notice too that the Lord doesn't just do that. He doesn't just strengthen him, but he also rescues him. He saved Paul. He saves us to do what? His will. And first, we see it in a, in a past tense way. We see the, the both and. That on the one hand, the, the Lord saved Paul in order for him to walk with the Lord and accomplish the Lord's will. And then we're going to see in verse 18 that the Lord also will save him in the future. Look at what, how he ends verse 17 after he talks about the Lord standing by him, the Lord strengthening him. Then he says, and the Lord rescued me. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. This word means to save, to deliver, to preserve. And Paul's looking back, no doubt in the recent past, with what happened with Nero, with the first defense that he escaped through that, to live another day so that he might share the gospel one more time. But he no doubt is also looking back on the rest of his life, that the Lord had continually saved him from all sorts of crazy situations, right? Snakes biting him, a snake biting him that was venomous that should have killed him, being stoned and left for dead with all the stones on top of him, and then he just rises up from them. That, that's the Lord. And he was confident that as the Lord saved him in each one of those circumstances, it was for the purpose of sharing him with others and continuing to do the will of the Lord. Very similar to Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could what? We could walk in them. That is what Paul is committed to. That is what we should be committed to. So most likely who he's referring to in the lion's mouth is Nero. That that is the one that is most prefigured here in this context of being like a lion, although we could go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and say that, that he could be speaking of Satan too. So maybe it's a both and. Maybe it's Nero on the one hand, Satan on the other. In any case, we know that what was Satan doing? He was attempting to try to stop this messenger of God because that's what Satan's all about. And yet, he wasn't able to do it, at least not at the first setting, this first defense. Why is that? Because the Lord is in charge. The Lord would only allow Paul to die if it was according to God's plan, if it was according to God's timing, if it was according to God's will. Nothing was going to happen to Paul that God couldn't save him out of or then use as a launch pad to bring him back home with him. Even as he said, looking at his departure, that he knew it was either going to go one way or the other, but Paul didn't know exactly when he would depart. All he knows now is, okay, it wasn't with this particular first defense. And he's confident that the Lord would save him and take him out of his present circumstances at some point. 
So he's looking back and he says, man, our God, Timothy, is a God that saves us, but he saves us for a purpose. He saved us so that we could walk with him, so that we could honor him, that we could proclaim him everywhere that we go. So you follow my example and you keep on keeping on. Keep on following him. And then he says this. It's not just that he stays close beside us. Not just that he strengthens us. Not just that he saved us before in order that we might live for him. But then this, he will safely bring us home. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. That's where he lands the plane. He doesn't want Timothy to leave without knowing, hey, be reminded of this, the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will get us home. I'm confident of that, Timothy. No matter what the circumstances look like, God is going to go before us and Christ Jesus himself will bring us home. What's interesting about this is the, the word translated bring or the verb translated bring isn't here. The normal verb that you use to mean bring is non-existent in this verb. The verb that is used that is translated bring is the verb sozo, which is the verb to save. So literally what Paul is saying is Jesus Christ will save me to his heavenly kingdom. Man, he saved me right when I trusted him on the road to Damascus. He continues to save me each day. Ultimately, he will save me to himself. Isn't that so sweet? In the midst of looking death square in the face, he's like, man, I know where I'm heading. I know where my end destination is. The only question for us all this morning is do you? Can you say with confidence, as the Apostle Paul did, that the Lord will rescue you and that he will bring you safely to his heavenly kingdom? Notice this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the one who is going to establish the heavenly kingdom here upon this earth. And as Paul considers how Jesus has stayed close beside him and actually come and stood with him, and as he considers how Jesus has strengthened him and how Jesus has come and, and rescued him and how Jesus will one day very, very soon save him home, save him to Jesus, save him to his kingdom. As he considers all of this, notice where he goes last. He can't help but to break into this doxology, this hymn of praise and worship. It's as if he just starts singing. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So be it. Truly. Or you could have translated it. Let it be so, Timothy. Recognize, man, we need to praise the Lord for how good he is to us. And so on the one hand, he's, he's saying, yes, death is, is, is in, in the one hand, it's, it's my deliverance, Timothy. And on the other hand, it is my destination. It is not something that I look at and say, oh, no, terrible death. No, he actually looks at death and says, oh, yes, I will be delivered from this body. And then I will arrive at my final destination, with the, which is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we hear that Paul was certain of his deliverance. And that Paul was certain of his destination, are you? 
There's only one way for you to be sure that when this life ends, and this life will end, for every one of us in this room, I can't tell you when this life will end, but this life will end. There will be a time of reckoning. And at that time of reckoning, you will come face to face with Jesus, the creator of all things. And at that time, you will give an account as to what you have done with Jesus Christ. Whether or not you have trusted in him as your savior or not. You see, that there is an issue with each of us, and that is sin. It is the things that we do that go contrary to what God says is good. Lying, stealing, cheating, committing adultery, even doing it in your mind. All of these things are things that the Lord Jesus Christ said are sinful, and then as a result, we are all guilty of eternal damnation. Going all the way back to the garden in Genesis The question is, have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? That is the only way that you can know for sure that when all is said and done, that He will bring you safely home. For He Himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father but through me. What have you done with Him? Have you believed unto Him for salvation? I plead with you this morning. If you have not, and you would like to talk, talk, talk with me after this service. Talk with one of the pastors, one of the others, one of the ladies on the worship team, if that, that makes you feel more comfortable if, if you're a gal. Our God is so good to us by making a way for us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that he died upon the cross, not for his sins, he's perfect. but as a payment for those of us that would trust in Him and in Him alone. And then we can have eternal life. And He will one day welcome us home, rescue us, and safely bring us home as He's already brought Paul, Timothy, Onesiphorus, Tychicus, Luke, and so many others. May you be part of that family that we are a part of. Amen? Let me close this up in, in prayer as Pastor Sheen and the, the worship team come. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in your word this morning and in the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and in no other. We thank you for the reminder this morning of how Jesus Christ comes close to us, stays close with us. That it is only, it is only through Jesus Christ that we can have eternal life. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can live this life. This Christian life in a way that honors you. And Lord, we, we say thank you. We praise you for who you are. That just as the Apostle Paul ended his time with praise and adoration to you, for you, Lord, our, our desire is to do the same. We don't want to just do it with lip service and song. We want to do it with our very lives. So may our lives be a picture. 
May they seriously reflect all that you are to us, all that we hope for in the future, and the hope that we have that you will bring us home, that you will safely save us home. We love you and thank you for this time. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.